0: So welcome back once again to the Coffee and Heroes podcast as we try in vain, well maybe not in vain, to catch up on all the comics that have been released towards the back end of 2021. So your host as always, Alan, the owner of Coffee and Heroes, a comic book store in Belfast. Uh, I'm joined as ever by Mr. Marvel, Keith Miller. Good evening sir and how are you?
1: I am doing all right, it's a Friday evening and we're here to talk comics, Uh, we're not too Far off, a little bit of a little bit of a seasonal holiday, um, and of course, most importantly, we're four days away from the days starting to increase in length again.
0: Most importantly, of course, I mean, most people listening to this would probably think most importantly we're eight days away from Christmas, but I, I prefer yours. Yours is closer; it's only four days away. So. <laughs> Uh, but as you say, we're recording this on a Friday evening. I may have a, a Mr. Jack Daniels and Coke by my side. I'm sure Keith has a beer by his side. It's uh, I have a uh, Japan's finest Kieran Ban. Nice. Uh, yeah, been a nice busy week all around. I mean, the store has been packed this week. We've probably sold more vouchers for the store in the last couple of days than we've sold in the previous four years. And and I think that's hopefully testament to the fact that more and more people know where we are. More and more people are enjoying the store and more and more people see it as as a treat and a good present to, you know, get people into our store and, and be able to choose their own titles, their own graphics, their own merch. So it's uh, it's pretty satisfying from that point of view the last few days. And, uh, you know, there are still seven days until Christmas Eve, which we will be open. So get your vouchers while you can, just in case. But, uh, yeah, busy week. You know, we're, as, as Keith says, we're recording this on the Friday night, 17th of December this of course is the week spidey no way home came out we both got to see it opening day we're not going to talk about it here because there's a full 53 minutes elsewhere on the podcast network you can listen to us gush over that movie and fanboy out
1: (laughs) wow yes it would uh we we thought we'd, we'd record a quick 20 minute podcast um
0: yeah, I was editing Turned out it. not so much. I was editing it, and at the start of it, I actually say the words, we're going to spend around 20 minutes on this. Oh, the, naive, the naivete, the naivete. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, we'll move away from that. I mean, TV movie-wise, I mean, it's not just about Spidey. Of course, this week is all about Spidey, I would say. But, you know, there's certainly a lot of good movies coming out towards the end of the year, the holiday season. You've got The Kingsman coming out, which, of course, is a preview to the, the previous two Kingsman movies, originally Mark Millar, graphic novel um, series, which was called The Secret Service, adapted brilliantly into movies. We've got a new Matrix movie coming soon as well, which I'm quietly excited for, and I didn't think I would be. Mm, saw the trailer in front of Spider-Man the other day, and I, I... I don't know. I'm not the biggest Matrix. I mean, I love, love the first Matrix. It is just a you know, a touchstone of, you know, sci-fi cinema. But I wasn't overly keen on two and three, although I gave number two a, a rewatch recently and it sort of got me quasi excited for this new one. I don't know, it might be trash, it might be brilliant, but I'm quietly looking forward to it, I have to admit. But mm-hmm. but yeah, well we'll see how it gets on. But but what I will be doing definitely a week from today when it is Christmas Eve Uh, myself and vicky have been holding back on watching any of marvel's hawkeye because Uh a it is one of my favorite runs of all time in the comics so i i'm really hoping it does it justice which based on the reviews and the feedback it most certainly does but i also thought because it's christmas based i thought christmas eve that would be a lovely way lovely thing to do close up the store come home crack open a beer Watch six episodes of hawkeye but but you've been watching it weekly haven't you been enjoying it so far i i
1: have yeah no it's been it's been great um the the uh actress who is playing uh kate bishop is phenomenal um there's a yeah. yeah there's a great there's a great cast all together in it uh jeremy renner's really getting his chance to get his a teeth into the character uh, in a way that maybe hasn't had a chance to do so in, in the movies. Cause I mean, it's, there's such ensemble movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story's very much drawn from, uh, from Matt fractions run, you know, yeah, so exactly. the tracksuit mafia is front and center there. Yeah. <laughs> I think you'll like that, bro. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so, and, and, uh, and certainly it is all connected. <laughs> it is all connected. Um, and uh, there, the episode four was just uh, there was a bit of a wow moment in it. I'm led to believe episode five, which I haven't watched yet, which was out this week, uh, is even more so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'll hopefully get a chance to watch it at the over this weekend at some stage. Uh, but yeah, great, great series. Really enjoying it. Really enjoying it. Up there with the the best of what the uh, the Disney Plus series have been so far.
0: Well, that's good to hear. You you know, yours is an opinion. I certainly. Certainly trust and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to watching it all in one go. I think it'll be a nice little Christmas Eve treat, a way of unwinding mm. after a, a busy year, I think. I'll tell
1: you what else Disney Plus put on recently that is phenomenal uh, and starring another alumni of the Marvel Universe uh, and also the DC Universe and uh, m- many other properties as well is Dopesick with mm-hmm. Michael Keaton. Now it doesn't sound very much like a Disney show, but uh, it's it's about the uh, the OxyContin crisis in America, the opioid uh, painkiller,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and Purdue Pharma, Pharma, uh, and the Sackler family who own that that company, and you know effectively what amounts to you know legal legal drug pushing. Uh, you know they 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 put out this, and I, I mean it's it's something that is still pervasive today uh there's an ongoing court case um i believe and uh so that this is very very timely but um we've got uh is it rosario rosario dawson
0: mm-hmm.
1: is it, or rosario yeah and uh and michael keaton's in there and, and a few and, others another but marvel
0: a, and, alumni rosario dawson, uh-huh, of yeah
1: yeah of course yeah so yeah just it's i mean it's a pretty hard-hitting show uh but very very good very good indeed uh, very very relevant very timely um and and well worth a well worth a look if you get a chance and michael keaton as ever is just spot on
0: i will certainly add it to the list of uh the the massively growing list of stuff that i need to watch i mean even the next sort of couple of weeks uh, slash month alone we've got new cobra kai which of course will jump to the top of the list we've got new ozark coming we've got new stranger Mm -hmm. things coming we've got the book of boba fett coming we've it really is a golden age, almost to the point where you just don't have enough time to watch all of them. But no matter what time I have, Cobra Kai is top of the list.
1: Yeah, oh. uh, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I'm with you. I'm with you.
0: <laughs> that'll be my New Year's treat to myself, I think, as well. So, uh, but yeah, no, I'll definitely be, uh, I'll definitely be giving Dope Sick a look. At you're, you're one of many people who have actually recommended it. So, uh, I'd like to think that that'll be a good one to catch. I mean, looking at the comic side of, of, of the news and everything else, I mean. The new previews books are starting to drop already. This is going to be stuff that's solicited for, you know, ordering in January, but not out until March. But, you know, the, the DC book is dropped. We will, of course, go into more detail with a, a, a dedicated previews podcast. But just a few different things are certainly catching our eyes as DC and Marvel fans. I mean dc wise for me i see mark wade is returning to dc he he did write a short story in uh one of the death metal tie-ins but we sort of thought that might be all he was doing but he's actually bringing back uh batman superman world's finest and he could not bring it back with a, a finer see what it did there uh artist hey. dan mora is along for the ride with that so that's a definitely a big standout from the dc book for me there's Tons of other great stuff as well. But but I know as a as a massive X-Men fan and someone who's enjoyed the uh the Jonathan Hickman sort of reinvention of the the X line, there was there was some exciting news recently as well. Yeah, big style,
1: as we know, uh you know, Hickman has has stepped back as the as the head of X, leaving it in the capable hands of of Jerry Duggan. But uh Marvel have released a closer look at the franchise's next major evolution. Uh that's the Destiny of X, which is 2022's uh, wave of X-Men comics and and status quo shift. Uh, I say it is the latest in the ongoing <laughs> chapter that began with with House and Powers, and uh, they're they're billing it as the start of the second Krokoan age. And they've released uh, a great uh, teaser image or a bunch of, of teaser images. There's not a lot. known, not not a lot. No one. Um, It builds directly out of uh, the fallout of Inferno and the uh, lives and deaths deaths of
0: Wolverine.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, And there are a number of titles listed for spring 2022. Immortal X-Men, Marauders is relaunching with number one, X-Force, Knights of X, X X-Men, Legion of X, Wolverine, New Mutants, and X-Men Red. So that I think will be the full lineup of, of X titles. So there's some that are... That are, uh, I guess, significant by their their absence. There, you know, Excalibur's not there, uh, for sure. And uh, you know, there's, a, there's is there, I think there's a couple of others. But, but yeah, very, very interesting to see, uh, to see what that will bring. And uh, excited to see what Jerry Duggan will do and what the second uh, Krakoa age looks like. But, I mean, I, I just can't see a point now where, and I, I don't, I don't wish for it, uh, a point where the X-Men will return to the status quo of, you know, back in the mansion. I just just don't see it happening.
0: Well, mean, <laughs> Too far gone. I mean, you've sort of got that anyway. I mean, you've got the, the X-Men Legends title, which, of course, can tell stories back in sort of the 90s continuity, and, and that was very much uh, the status quo for the X-Men back then, I would say.
1: Well, I mean, it was. I mean, it's hard for... So that's the thing about
0: comics, is that, you know they'll always return
1: to some sort of central status quo as they were set at the start. You know they'll not move too far beyond that. And it's only in certain special cases that they do. I mean, Spider-Man will always return to, you know, Hard Luck Peter Parker. Uh, you know, great power and responsibility. Great power comes great responsibility, as Uncle Ben taught him. Aunt May alive, possibly. You know, not doing so well. And you know, there's there's a love interest there that you know it's on again, off again, and you know. Batman will always return to that central. He never moves too far from it, you know. He's always that damaged kid, you know, who's made his, made his swear, and he's away he goes, you know, find criminals. You know, certain certain characters move beyond it. Nightwing, for example, you know that that Robin to Nightwing transition is is now permanent. That changed that the status quo for that character. But more often than not, those characters will return to the status quo. So with with, with this, you know, with with this Hickman. X-Men, I think, you know, we're, we, we're seeing a shift completely from that central status quo that, that always was, you know, the the X-Men, the, the young mutants being educated at the school, uh, you know, under the, the watchful eye of of, uh, of Professor Xavier.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's a, a way of catering to the older fans that you can introduce these titles, though, like X-Men Legends, that jumps back to the 90s continuity, we've got the upcoming... Silver Surfer Rebirth as well, that again, that you can continue with the continuity now and and the new status quo and so forth, but you can still tell stories within those more classic timelines for people Mm -hmm. as well. So, I mean, with with myself, I mean, mostly X-Men wise, I read through trades and omnibuses at the moment. Uh, Coming next week, actually, is the Hellfire Gala hardcover. So, oh um, brilliant. I've just not long finished the X of Swords. So uh-huh. uh, or Ten of Swords or whatever what whatever yeah, yeah, anyone yeah. wants to call it. Um, <laughs> so I've not long finished that. So Hellfire Gal is my next one and then um, you know I, I go from there. I I just find there's a lot of titles to keep track of and you know yeah. you know that oh, that, that, uh, that would cut out on my Batman it. reading time and we can of course, be that. course
1: no definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. You couldn't keep track of Batman uh joker
0: uh batman, comics, urban Legends, detective comics batman, the batman detective. imposter yeah you couldn't keep track of all of those exactly Definitely and not. you know when we, <laughs> when we hit that new uh previews podcast there's a new tom Keene batman title coming as well but anyway um, we'll get to that in the future pod anyway uh
1: hellfire gala was good fun yeah. uh it, it it will read well i think as a trade because it's the same event from so many different points of view points of view uh and also it ends with such a bang with with an incredible yeah it ends it ends very well
0: nice very well Nice. Well, as I say, that will be a little Christmas present to myself. That uh, hardcover omnibus arriving next week, as I say. Uh, well, I say arriving next week. I mean, that all depends on you know what mood Diamond are in. But you know, what mood have Diamond been in, Alan? That's it. You know, come closer. You know, curl around, children. As I tell you the <laughs> latest tales regarding Diamond comic distributors. I mean, anyone that follows the store and social media, I I'd always do my best to keep everyone up to date. And the last few weeks have certainly been very trying. With Deliveries sent to wrong addresses. Deliveries going missing. You know, replacements not arriving for titles. You know, Keith's heard all of this before, but uh, it's been a challenge in few weeks with them. I mean, don't get me wrong. I know they are doing their best. You know, they they recently got you know hacked, and you know they're still trying to find their footing and stuff. But but yeah, every so often they do something that just you know staggers you know disbelief for me. There's there's two incidents I'm going to share with you from this week. one was an email i got on tuesday a rather curt almost rude email saying no hold on hold on these people who have failed you time and time again
1: yes sent you did you say a curt a curt email A
0: very curt almost rude email first of all saying can you did you
1: did you put your order in time again
0: Oh, yeah. Did you do that? Oh, order order was all in on time. Order was clear, you know, formatted perfectly, you know, clear as day. But Mm. I got an email, first of all, saying, can you please settle payment for this ASAP? We have not received it and cannot process the order until we receive the, the payment. So I took a screen grab of my bank account from four days prior when said payment was made and went, you mean this payment? To which I got a reply of, oh, sorry, our mistake. Anyway, so that was one thing. But then I got another one today. So I think I've talked about it before. There's there's this thing with ordering the preliminary final order cutoff. And it essentially gives you a chance to top up or reduce your orders one month before a title comes out. It's, it's, yeah. it's the last order form that gets sent off to the states for them to adjust your numbers. Now, normally we'll get that on a Wednesday. So it gives you a couple of days to, you know, process all the rest. For this week and last week, it's come at one o'clock on a Friday. And we've been given the message this needs to be in by 4pm on the same Friday. Now, I had a really busy day in store today, so I used to say I even get a chance to look at this email. But I managed to get to it on time, did my order, had to cut and paste things through my phone. It was, it was not user friendly at all. But it was still nice and clear and concise, quantity, additions, I even copied across the prices for everything. And they had the cheek to send me an email back at 10 past 4 saying, Oh, for all future uh, orders, can you please put it in an Excel spreadsheet and send it our way so we can process it much easier?
1: <laughs> do your job for us. So
0: <laughs> so I replied, well, I'm more than happy to do that. As long as I'm given more than three hour deadline to send you these things, what more do you want me to do? <coughs> no, pardon me. Now, in fairness, they then did apologize after that. But my God, they're, they're, oh, they're testing me. They're testing me, Keith. Yeah, it's lucky. <laughs> like, it's lucky. I love comics. That's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah, yeah. Love, love comics. here diamond.
0: Oh yeah. I think that should. Oh, that's a t-shirt, Keith. That is a t-shirt. <laughs> Ideas are percolating for the new year, right there. Um, hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna write that one though. Anyway. uh So. Yeah. So, <laughs> fingers crossed. Delivery arrives next week. Hellfire gala is in it. Just to bring that story full circle. But uh, yeah, but anyway, no, we're going to move away from sort of the, the general chat, the TV, the movie news, all that kind of stuff. We're we're basically doing our best to get caught up on all of the uh, the comics that have come out this year. And um, damn it, we are determined to close out this year fully up to date. So what we're going to do now. <laughs> oh, I don't like that laughter. That sounds nervous to me. Oh, we will. <laughs> we will. We will close
1: out this year up to date. That is that is the plan, man. You made it just there. Now you made a we made a pledge to one
0: another. We did. And we have 14 days to fulfill that pledge. So yep. A lot of reading to do. So we're recording on the 17th of December. We're going to kick things off with titles released on the 27th of October but we have notes people we're catching up so so yeah so now that's going to be the plan we're going to we're going to record them in sort of bite-sized um chunks we're going to focus on one week at a time we're going to do our usual stuff you know we'll break down our own pull lists we'll do some you know quick picks honorable mentions and then we'll always finish on a a pick of the week from both of us as well so as i say we're going to kick things off with closing out the month of october for 2021 and it's the releases from the 27th of october So for this week, this was a really big week for me. Holy moly, just looking at my titles. I got up into the 30s this week, so I had 33 titles, 10 DC, a respectable 5 Marvel, but holy moly, 18 indie titles. What Mm -hmm. were your numbers this week? Uh,
1: My numbers were a little lower than yours, Uh, 26 titles, uh, so uh, that was uh, 7 less than you. I had 7 DC, 8 Marvel, and 11
0: indie nice so so it's probably no surprise based on our numbers that a lot of my uh honorable mentions certainly are indie based although i say that my pick of the week will actually be dc based but uh as i say we're going to go through honorable mentions first then picks of the week so why don't you kick things off keith and it's actually perfectly uh set up here given the conversation we've just had about hickman's x-men and his exactly. x-men line exactly and we so
1: we're delving into the uh the finale of, uh, of the, the Hickman's X-Men universe, I guess, or his final X-Men title uh, coming too soon uh, that it ha- that it has done. And that is Inferno uh, and Inferno number two. So, I mean, this issue absolutely uh, solidified my opinion that if you were on board for House and for Powers, uh, even if you haven't managed to keep the faith all the way through Hickman's first Krakoan era, of the x-men then you should definitely get back on board for the end of it i think this is pretty much a must buy series um if you're anywhere associated with the the x-men it's great looking it's nicely paced it's emotional it's filled with intrigue (coughs) uh it's an issue that brings a lot of stuff to a head and promises some long-lasting ramifications uh with the House of X that Charles Xavier and Magneto and Moira X have built teetering on the brink. It's great stuff.
0: So what you're saying is it may lead to us understanding what Destiny of X is all about?
1: Quite, quite. Uh, and there's one word in there that is
0: uh, particularly portentous, you might say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Inferno, that's a four-issue miniseries in but each issue is oversized, isn't it? It's uh, sort of like a 48-pager. Almost every issue. I mean, it's another one. They've already solicited the hardcover for that. So, so again, my reading for that will certainly be through the uh, the omnibus slash hardcover format. Uh, the first honorable mention for me is something I think we've been looking forward to, both of us, for a little while. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, this was an indie title from Image uh, called Nita Hawes Nightmare Blog. So this was a brand new number one. It may not sound immediately obvious what this is based on the title, but written by Rodney Barnes and art by Jason Sean Alexander and Patrick Reynolds. You know, you know. back when we chatted to Rodney Barnes, and I will definitely insert a very cheap plug for our podcast interview right here. Rodney Barnes, that was a great chat. Uh, he had mentioned to us that the world of Philadelphia was getting bigger. You know, we, we've talked about Philadelphia countless times. Great title, probably one of the best horror titles on the shelves. And when we were chatting to him, he was literally looking at a board off camera from us saying like, I got this coming, I got this coming, I got this coming. So this was one of those titles, Nita Hawes Nightmare Blog. So, you know, if this is the kind of quality he was talking about for tie-in series, then we are in for a treat. You know, we again, we, we've always talked about the quality of Philadelphia, And although reading of that series, it's definitely preferable for this and highly recommended just because it's awesome. You could jump into this series cold though and still be absorbed into this world. You know, Killadelphia focuses very much on vampires, whereas Nita Hawes' Nightmare blog focuses on ghosts and demons. So, the main character here, as I'm sure you can guess, is Nita Hawes, a former lover of Jimmy Sangster and now a teacher in Baltimore. My God, Rodney Barnes really does love The Wire, doesn't he? Uh, mm mm-hmm. And the most prominent ghost she sees is her little brother, Jason, who died tragically young. You know, he appears to her in this story to warn her of an impending supernatural invasion. There's other story threads as well being weaved here, including two detectives investigating a grisly murder. And then there's also a really creepy scene with a nurse at a rest home who fears one of the patients might be possessed. This is Absolutely everything a great first issue should be. This was close to pick of the week for me. You know, the writing by Rodney Barnes is tight and sharp. There's enough time given to each individual story thread to make them matter and draw you in. The art by Alexander and Reynolds is both haunting, but but highly emotive as well, with some great creature design. And one thing that I think is very important here is Louis NCT is on board as colourist. He, of course, colours uh, Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. so it's a great thing here you know because that work is fantastic and it just melds the two titles perfectly together so yeah for sure a title to watch you know it's the one thing i will say is it's it's a little bit slower in coming out you know we're in december we've only reached issue two but uh this is an excellent companion piece to to an already great main series i think
1: yeah thoroughly enjoyed it thoroughly enjoyed it and uh yeah that we uh that we uh what was it Bodymore more murderland uh, notion uh, whenever you talk about a wire a wire uh, sort of segue uh, that very famous piece of uh, of graffiti that uh, that appears at the start of uh, in the credit sequence of the wire that's exactly what it says and she says uh, my uh, yeah, my my ex <laughs> Jimmy Sangster used to call it
0: <laughs> Murderland, <laughs> Bodymore Well I mean talking about tie-in series to main series that we love what's next up? Uh, it is the first
1: issue of House of Slaughter. It is uh, the Something is Killing the Children spinoff by the original series writer James Tinian IV, or JTIV, as I have uh, listed him in our notes. Uh, so he's been skillfully setting this up in the main book by exploring Erica's childhood in the last few issues and and her in- induction into the, the House of Slaughter. And it's led us nicely to this series. Which is set to look at the secret history of that ancient order uh, that forged Erica into Erica's Slaughter, and as we begin, we're not following Erica. We're following a teenage Aaron Slaughter. Uh, in the future, he's a black mask and he's Erica's rival and handler. But now, he's very much not that. And I think there's a depth of character that has allowed that has allowed something that's killing the children its longevity. You know, you remember that was originally supposed to be a miniseries. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Six I think it's that depth of, the of character. Yeah. yeah. That, uh, you know, that depth of character that has allowed it to to continue. And, and I don't think that's any different from from what we're seeing here in House of Slaughter. I mean, that translates beautifully. And I think this will absolutely be eaten up by long-time Something is Killing the Children fans. And it's a great jumping-on point for newbies that will lead them towards Something is Killing the Children. I do wonder how long we're going to follow Aaron. Mm-hmm. And how long Tinian might remain on the spin-off, But my hope is that it's going to be for a long time.
0: Yeah, here's hoping. I mean, when we were fortunate enough to to meet Tinian at Thought Bubble recently, he was talking about lots of different spin-off ideas he had for um, something that's killing the children. It seems to be a word he's really absorbed in. And he just says the main reason there's not more of them coming out at the moment is because he wants to be involved in all of them. So he clearly has a lot of big ideas for the series, and that's not a bad thing. Mm. It it just seems to be getting bigger by the issue as well, something that's killing the children. So a wee spin-off like this, of that quality, I have no problem with that. So, yeah, I really really dug the first issue as well. I mean, talking about creator owned series, next up for me, honourable mention wise, is Time Before Time, number six. So so this issue is both written and drawn by Declan Shelby. I mean, Declan has been a, a co-creator, but mostly a writer for this series, doing the covers as well, but he's left the interior art to Joe Palmer. You know, it was a real shame we had to rearrange the, the Declan signing, you know, it was for very understandable reasons. And we're we're chatting at the moment about rescheduling for January. So I look forward to telling them face to face just how good this issue was. You know, it's you know, time before time, it's been another great series for Image. I mean, there's so many of them, but you know, so far I think this has been great. You know, the first collected trade is available now. The first five issues, but with this one, as I say, Deck has taken the reins on art for one issue to tell a standalone story within this universe, which is a treat for us single issue readers because he has said this will not appear in trade collections. Like this is a this is a single issue release only. So this one um, shifts focus uh, on just how lucrative a business the time relocation has become. And the desperate lengths that some people will go in order to escape their past and get that elusive fresh start. The bulk of the action, is set in 1994. I mean, time before time, I've seen criticisms of it that it can be a little hard to follow because there's so many time jumps. But I just think it rewards paying attention personally. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the bulk of this action set in 1994, a family has bent some rules to get relocated from 2140. And the courier who helped them bend those rules is on the run from his employer's. And we also spend some time with members of the syndicate who are chasing the agent who went against the rules. You know, I'm all for this one-shot format as a way for creators to take a break from the main narrative. I mean, it must be hard with creator-owned titles to not just want to stay on that straight, linear line of storytelling. So it's nice when they can take a break from that and just flesh out the world, build on the mythology, that kind of thing. And I think this is a great start for these one-shots, with a story that's really exciting, but... (laughs) Holy crap, it's pretty heartbreaking by the end of the issue as well. It gets <laughs> was, yeah. it gets dark. So it does. Yep. Um yep. I mean, regular series artist Joe Palmer. I, I think he's great in the main series, but it's always a treat to see Dex Noir sensibility and sort of sequential mm. art as well, you know. Um so yeah, highly recommended, you know, as is the trade paperback to get you caught up in this world. Uh, I have tons of these issues uh in stock at the moment, tons of the trades, obviously again we're preparing for that. That signing that hopefully we'll have in uh in january again
1: i mean i think this is it's great it's it's almost like like introducing a, a gangster sens- sensibility to a, a time travel story it's that's <laughs> very very good you know there's a there's a bit of a sopranos thing going on especially in this issue uh, as well that uh, i really appreciated very very good issue
0: excellent so yes yeah, so that's time before time at number six so Why don't we jump on to a little bit of DC next? You know, a couple of honorable mentions from both of us.
1: Yep, DC very much so, in that it is Detective Comics number 1044. Um, This one felt uh, like classic horror in the vein of Alien to me, uh, with Tamaki and Mora picking up very much the fear part of fear state and running with it, and allowing Tamaki to keep the story that she wants to tell going without being too derailed by the free, st- the free state, the fear state crossover. Um, we've got like, you know, the tight, dark passageways of the Gotham sewers and the Maud creatures erupting from egg-like structures threatening to infect our fear-filled, anti-vigilante, ignorant of the threat, vulnerable Mernacano, while chief vigilante Batman, uh, realising that he has to deal with the vile creatures, struggles to save him. Um, fantastic stuff. It's just great art, great colors. And I am really coming to appreciate how Mariko Tamagi writes Batman. Really, really solid. And I would say maybe a little underappreciated, perhaps, in the face of Tinian and Jock and the likes. Would that be fair to say?
0: Yeah, I can appreciate that. I mean, I think that it's really interesting, the, the sort of opposition between Detective Comics and Batman, and that Batman is seen as the main title be it Detective Comics, has the older prestige, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think to my, uh, Mariko Tamaki's work so far has been outstanding from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came on board pretty much with Future State, but obviously brought on Dan Mora. And I can even appreciate it myself, I've been guilty of it at times, of maybe focusing on Dan Mora's art more than Mariko Tamaki's storytelling, but the storytelling has been great Mm. so far, you know, all the stuff with City Hall with Mayor Nakano's distrust of Batman and and eventual certainly Mm. around this point, eventual sort of coming to terms with maybe working with Batman as well I think it's provided a really great break from the main Bat Tile.
1: Yeah, and I think she writes a a, a more relatable, more human Batman Is uh, is that
0: just because Bruce Wayne is poor?
1: No, no, I don't think so. Maybe but maybe maybe it is, but I mean, even whenever he's in the bat suit, yeah. know, it doesn't matter whether he's poor or not. Um, you know, and I think per is relative here. <laughs> you know, he's not exactly destitute. Well, <laughs> but those have been some of the most he's, fun he's, scenes
0: though. I mean the yeah, we talked less, about it before, yeah. like the neighborhood mixers and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's less he's less filthy rich than he was. Yeah. Just. Um but yeah, I think she just writes a, a more relatable Batman, perhaps. You know, less of the the, the machismo and, uh, you know, yeah, absolutely.
0: I think as well well she writes uh, a very solo Batman, if that makes sense. You know, there's obviously communication with Barbara. You know, Barbara's been dipping in out of the Oracle role. But it's weird because Batman, the main title, feels more like the team book. And Detective Uh Comics feels more like the Batman book if you know what I mean.
1: Which is a switch, which is a switch because Detective Tomic Comics was previously the the, team book. the Bat Family book.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. That's no coincidence that the Bat Family book, that was written by Tinian and then he took over Batman. But yeah, like, reading Batman recently before obviously Joshua Williamson's going to take over, it does feel like more of a team book. You know, Batman mm-hmm. has mm-hmm. Batman working with Harley Quinn and with Miracle Molly and with Barbara and with Nightwing and you know, but Detective Comics feels a more stripped back storyline, I think, and, and I agree. I think Mariko Tamaki is probably a little underappreciated at this point. And so, uh, but yeah, so that was Detective Comics. And speaking of sort of horror tinged DC titles, next up for me is DC versus Vampires number one. So, you know, talk about a dream team of uh, creators on this. This is uh, a co writing situation with Matthew Rosenberg and James Tinney in the fourth. And art is by Otto Schmidt. So, I mean, I sort of pitched this to people as a new supernatural DC event. From the creators of Hawkeye Freefall, with Tinian thrown in for good measure, sign me up right there. I mean, hopes were very, very high for this series. It's going to be a 12-issue mini, and I'm glad to say that it did not disappoint. You know, I think these are always great titles to enjoy. You know, Deceased is another, Injustice is another. I th- I think these are just great titles to enjoy for the simple fact that no one is safe in these sort of elsewhere tales, if you will. As evidenced very much by the character Death straight out of the gate in issue one here. You know, there's always something great about taking that safety blanket away in terms of knowing your heroes will always come out out on top. They'll win in the end. They'll survive to fight another day. But this takes that feeling of safety away and replaces it with a real feeling of dread instead. And with DC vs. Vampires number one, they've brought back Andrew Bennett, who was the protagonist from the absolutely brilliant and, you know, we're speaking about underrated criminally underrated iVampire series from the new 52 and this is an inspired choice because it's suggesting that these plans for the undead to overthrow civilization you know those plans have been in the works for a while this is not just a new development you know this is no sudden occurrence or change to the status quo brought about by an apocalyptic event or anything like that you know, vampires have always been there in the background and you don't know who they've got to or which one of the heroes we can trust. And mm-hmm. this brings a great element to it. You know, I think this is always a great setup. Similar to John Carpenter's The Thing, which, as anybody who knows me, is one of my absolute favourite movies. Because it sort of engulfs a horror tale. It's not just pure horror, it's mystery as well. And and again, all that paranoia, dis- paranoia all that distrust, that kind of thing. You know, we find out in issue one that a long-time legacy character is in league with the vampires, and it's quite a shocking moment, I have to say. Um, yeah, this was just a real, a real fun ride of a first issue, and again, a maxi series of twelve issues seems the perfect length for this tale, in which there's enough time to flesh out the story, enough time to flesh out the characters, but it also won't outstay its welcome as well. So, yeah, DC vs. Vampires number one. I thought this was a this was a great first issue. Yeah, solid. Really enjoyed it. So, uh, we'll move away from DC and into the heady world of Marvel. What's up next?
1: Uh, started with a uh, with a uh, an X book, finishing with an next book here on the uh, in the honourable mentions. Uh, Marauders twenty five is uh, a very strong entry from uh, the new ex honcho, Jerry Dugan and Phil Noto this week, and it was a fantastic cover. I don't know if you saw the cover, but it was it was Emma Frost. With a set of knuckle dusters on looking like she's just come out of like a fist fight. It was really, I can't remember what the knuckle dusters said, but uh, it was, it was, it was something else. It was a really great cover. Um, the issue is full of great art and really clever plotting and, a not inconsiderable focus on mutant action. And it's always great to see Iceman getting his due. One of the original X-Men that's, that's often neglected. The Marauders are in space, And I mean that in a very literal fashion, as in having been ejected directly into the vacuum of space. So, you know, you'd presume you're setting up for a fairly short story. But what we got was a great ensemble play piece with some really brilliant character moments and some really great action moments as everybody, you know, took part in the teamwork collaboratively and synergistically to save themselves and then repay the favour on the guy that put them in this situation in the first place. Iceman assembles this shell of pure ice around him, you know, cutting them off from the vacuum and capturing as much air as he can from the blown-out airlock. And then Pyro creates water with a little melting action and allows uh, Kate Pride to use her pew-pew ray gun to apply an electrical current and generate oxygen. And then Bishop and Sebastian Shaw, who both redirect kinetic energy, Bishop in the form of energy blasts, and Shaw in the form of um, concussive, you know, Physical hits. They, they're, you know, Bishop was blasting Shaw, and shaw's hitting Bishop, and they're gener- they're generating this power, uh, and and then you know that generates Bishop, gives Bishop enough power that he's able to you know thrust, use his blast as a thrust to get them back to the ship. Meanwhile, the white queen she's using her her telekinesis to to give them their target, and it's amazing how things quickly turn from disaster back to all business. You know, Bishop blasts them back to the ship while while Pride is phasing back into the ship and confronting the would be hijacker. And I don't know, it's just, it's great how fully Jerry Duggan has developed Kate Pride's character through this series. And there's there's a thematic callback to the last time that Pride hurtled through space, uh, you know, while phasing uh, in, back in Josh Whedon's uh, Breckworld arc in the Astonishing X-Men. But yeah, it was just a great, just a great, uh, great issue. Great, solid issue of of X Comics. Really good stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, is there, uh, Marauders is one of those ones you were saying, is this coming to an end as we move into Destiny of X? It's coming to an end, but it's been relaunched at number one. Ah, mm-hmm. a relaunch already for X-Men. My goodness, come on. There you are. <laughs> there well, you are. Well, one title that is certainly not being relaunched that uh, gets mentioned every single time we record this podcast when it's been released, and with very good uh, reason, is That Texas Blood. So it's our last honorable mention, and it's That Texas Blood number 11. So in case you're not familiar with the title, it's written by Chris (coughs) Condon and Jacob Phillips. You've probably heard those names a million times this pod by now. Yeah, as I say, time for a monthly mention of one of Image's very best ongoing titles. You know, when when it comes to noir comics, one of my absolute favorite genres, as anybody who listens knows, atmosphere is absolutely everything you know Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips are masters of this and Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips are fast becoming masters in their own right I mean just look at the cover of this alone it's a really minimalist cover but it is dripping with atmosphere so with issue 11 we are we're approaching the end of the second arc you know with Joe Bob and Eversol locating and getting ready to confront the cult of night You know, thunderstorm rages, a couple of guys getting ready to do the right thing when they should clearly wait for backup, a young girl in danger, a promise made by a man to a mother that he will save the child, a ticking clock, you know. All these tropes and staples are utilised, and because of how great the character work is in this title, both from a writing and artistic viewpoint, we are so heavily invested in this, you know. We're generally fearing for these characters, and there just might not be a happy ending here. You know, we've said it many times, you know, Keith will back me up here. We will happily say it again. If you are not on this, you are missing out on one of the great modern comic runs. You know, whatever these mm-hmm. guys are working on next, I'll be picking up day one every time. Yes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean this this Eversol arc I think has it's so good because they've laid the foundation and they've made us, you know, love a lot of these characters. Uh, or empathize with them, or sympathize with them, you know. But they've added something else here. Just this is this is this is up the the that Texas Blood game for sure. This arc has, has been great.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it's it's coming to an end with issue twelve, which will of course then become the collected trade edition of the second story arc. And yeah, we we cannot recommend this title enough. I mean, the guys who write it as well are just cool dudes, you know, again, cheap plug for a previous pod, but they were such a pleasure to talk to, you know, during lockdown and so forth, and their work really does speak for itself here with that Texas blood, so issue 11, another honourable mention, and it's only an honourable mention because we can't have it as a pick of the week every single issue (laughs) So so true But uh, we're going to move on now from the honourable mentions and move on to the picks of the week, so I'm really sorry for anybody listening we have very much conformed to type here. Oh, <laughs> we have. Keith we have. is going to go first with the Marvel pick. I'm going to follow it up with the DC pick. Lead the way.
1: Uh, I am leading the way. Uh, my pick of the week for 27th of October releases uh, is Moon Knight number four. Uh, and It's another round of this issue of Moon Knight was the best one yet for me as McKay and master masterclass in reigniting a much-loved but second-tier character ahead of their their their, their Disney Plus show continues a and more than any other issue of this series, I think this one gives challenge to the very lazy analogy of Moon Knight being Marvel's version of Batman. It's not a comparison that I ever held a lot of uh, a, a, a lot of uh, interest in or or, or broke with. Short of the Cape and the Kyle, Moon Knight has always skewed much more towards the the supernatural than the Bat does, and has a much more complex internal life, uh, his struggles with dissociative identity disorder and and and, and so forth, uh, which in this issue sets him up to display a much greater degree of vulnerability than his usual, either with himself or with the flying mouse guy. Um, there are some fantastic scenes you Know of action, but the final scene is a very touching and revealing scene between Mark Spector and Tigra Greer, Greer, Grayson, Greerson, I think, Greer Nelson, I can't remember what her, what her, what her actual name is. Hmm. Uh, they're old uh, West Coast Avengers colleagues, teammates, and <coughs> Greer is the first person to appear in this series who might really know in, you know, when a verdict column, is Mark, and that defines this issue um yeah so it's it's <coughs> it was just really really enjoyable there was there's also a you know there's the, the beginning of the slightly incongruous slightly sopranos like therapy scenes of mr knight on the on the couch with the with the therapist It's just it's it's just fantastic stuff jed mckay is is just phenomenal um you know he wrote uh this week again he wrote uh The Spider-Man, Death of Dr. Strange tie-in, and a variety of other stuff. I say it's this week because I read it yesterday, but it's, I think, three weeks ago. (laughs) But, but yeah, it's just... I mean, Moon Knight is just... It's just such a good book. And this is only issue four, and it just keeps getting better. It's got some of the best quotes in it. And uh, I'm just... Moon Knight's really hot stuff at the minute. Really hot stuff, uh, you know, with, with Oscar Isaac being, you know tipped for the you know the role in the series not tipped in fact i know he is uh you know when we're getting close to real trailer territory and and that sort of so this is yeah jed mckay is the right writer on this at the right time and capuchio's art is just all good and just that that, they've got him at the street level where he, he does best but they've also got the supernatural side of things with the vampire stuff going on it's just it's great i'm i'm really looking i'm really hoping uh i'm really hoping for for uh you know the, the marvel universe's finest vampire hunter to appear in the near future because a, a Midnight blade crossover would be class
0: <laughs> at this stage yeah i mean jed mckay we we've talked about it before he's sort of marvel's secret weapon at the moment and that just every title he puts out is pretty stellar yeah i mean Midnight mm-hmm. M- is one of those ones it's 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 one that's on my pull list it's it's not going anywhere and it's it looks like it might buck the trend a little bit as well because moon knight a little bit like the aforementioned vampire hunter they never seem to get long runs certainly not mm. in a few years anyway and the quality of this is so high i mean moon knight for us again we can only ever talk about ourselves in terms of a store but moon knight's the third biggest marvel pull for us and that's really yep yeah, the only two ahead wow. of it are Venom, and that's off the back of Donny Cates and Rand Stegman's great work, and and of course, Ram V and Al Yoon picking up the baton. Uh, it's only behind Venom and Amazing Spider-Man. So Moon wow. Knight has it struck a chord, and what, whatever McKay's doing, and as you say, Capucho with his art, it, it struck a nerve with people, and even this week, I had a couple of guys, I had three separate occasions where people came up and picked up numbers four and five from the racks, and straight away, we're like, can you source me one, two, and three, please? So people are coming <laughs> to it a little late. But the, the reputation of this title is growing. So uh, it's good to see because okay. it is an absolute quality title. So. Uh, so, yes, so that was Keith's pick then for the 27th of October. And that was Moon Knight number four. So I am going to bring October to a close with a very well-timed title, given that October 31st is Halloween, given the Keith aforementioned the... Uh, the Bat uh, and of course, my pick <laughs> of the week is a Batman title, so for me, uh this week it was Batman, the Long Halloween special number one, so written by Jeff Loeb, art by Tim seal, so I chatted before in that Texas blood, you know, I'd mentioned the pairings of brubaker Phillips and Condom Phillips as being a mark of quality. You can certainly have Jeff Loeb and Tim seal on that list, I mean. I'm already a huge fan of Batman Long Halloween. They did stellar Marvel work based around colours. They did Spider-Man Blue. They did Hulk Grey, Captain America White, Uh, Daredevil Yellow as well. The Long Halloween was actually one of the first Batman maxi-series I ever read. And since that time, it has stayed steadfast in my top five Batman stories of all time. You know, it's... It's a series that managed to incorporate everyone in Batman's rogues gallery effortlessly into the story. It explored the dynamic between Batman, Harvey Dent, and Commissioner Gordon, but it also managed to focus on the crime families in Gotham, as well as introduce a new villain. You know, it was all absolutely effortless, brilliant writing, weaving the tale, and career best art from Tim Sale as he presented a noir tinged, stylized version of Gotham. You know, it's no surprise that Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight was so heavily influenced by that book. So when I see we're returning to that world with the original creators to tell a one-shot tale, I, I did approach it with massive excitement, but also there's always that tinge of trepidation. You know, could it possibly match up to the original masterpiece? Would it add anything new? Was there any point to it? You know, was it just a cash grab? Who knew? But. You know, I'm glad to say it was a big fat yes that it delivered. You know, this was one of my favourite single issues of the year. I mean, the setup alone for this title is brilliant. You know, in the long Halloween, Batman was chasing a killer who always committed the acts on holidays. So, murder takes place on Halloween, or on Thanksgiving, or on Christmas Day. And in, in Batman lore, the obvious suspect was always the calendar man. However, it wasn't him, but someone who would take on the moniker of the Holiday Killer. You know, I won't reveal who that killer was, you know, I mean, it is a 30-year-old story at this point. But I won't give it away, you know, as trying to work it out, it's one of the big pleasures of a first read-through. But the setup for this is that it's always graded on Calendar Man that someone essentially stole his gimmick. So this special starts out with him essentially trying to reclaim his name by committing criminal acts in the lead-up to Halloween. Harvey Dent slash Two-Face has also resurfaced in this story, Robin, Dick Grayson is kicking around, and the relationship between Batman and Gordon is as strong as ever. You know, considering this was only a 48-page special, there is so much great storytelling here. You know, it feels longer than 48 pages. Jeff Loeb has slid brilliantly back into the world, and and it's like he never missed a beat. There's a brilliant central mystery and noir sensibility driving the story, but... But there's also tons of levity and humor. I mean, you have a young Barbara Gordon wanting to go trick-or-treating with Robin, who she's a big, big fan of, and <laughs> who, of course, is much younger here than Batman. And she dresses up as Batgirl right in front of her father to do so, to go trick-or-treating with Robin, who people just assume that's a Robin trick-or-treater, not the actual Robin, just really good stuff. You know, seals are... It's not quite as sharp and detailed as the original tale, though, to be fair, not many people could reach that standard in their prime let alone 25 years later. But his art still connects to this world. You know, his character design remains fantastic. The colours from Brennan Wagner perfectly convey the film noir feel that Loeb and Sailor are going for. And even the letter Richard Starking shines using different fonts from when Harvey speaks or Two-Face speaks. You know, it's these little subtle touches that just show these guys are at the top of their game and it adds to the atmosphere. The ending of it, it's both definitive but also open-ended. You know, if if it all came to an end here... Brilliant, brilliant, perfect, unexpected send off. But there are a thread or two that are still there. So if Logan Seal ever wanted to revisit this world, they'd definitely have my money. You know, this was a brilliantly, a thoroughly brilliant one shot title. And to be honest, if you haven't read the original Long Halloween, stop listening to this podcast right now. Do yourself a favor and grab it straight away. In fact. In fact, just talking about it, I might just go and read it myself now. Uh, oh, The Long Halloween is so good. And this special genuinely just added so much to it. So, yeah, that was my pick of the week, Batman The Long Halloween special. I mean, I don't think you picked this up. You, you've read the original Long Halloween, have you? Yes, I have, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, you're more entrenched in the, the Marvel world, whereas I would be entrenched in the DC world. So this is this is a reread every couple of years kind of title for me. I mean, what are your feelings of the original Long Halloween?
1: Um, I,
0: I enjoyed it. I, re- I mean, it's been a long, I think it's been a long time since I read it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, So maybe it maybe it is due a reread. Um. Did you read a lot of their Marvel stuff? As I say, that Daredevil yellows, the Hulk greys, the Spider-Man blues. Yeah, I, Spider-Man blue. I read, I read all of them. I read mm. all of them. Um,
1: but yeah, I just, uh, I don't know why I didn't. I don't know why I didn't grab this one. Maybe there's just there wasn't enough of a. There just wasn't enough of a, a connection. Yeah, I think to me, you know what I mean. I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying the core Bat books, and I'm also picking up Detective, and I'm also picking up. I was picking up Urban Legends, and. Uh, you know, picking up Chip's new Batman book, and I, th- I just sort of went, okay, I have to draw the line here somewhere, and I think this is where the line was drawn.
0: It's an interesting one because we even spoke about it when we, you know, reviewed Spidey No Way Home and stuff like that. There's, there's that nostalgic draw to things that meant something to you, and mm-hmm. Batman Along Halloween is, is genuinely one of those titles that introduced me properly to adult comic book storytelling yeah. within a superhero world. And therefore, for me, it had that draw, but it's not going to have that draw for everyone. So I, I'd be really curious to like chat to someone who hadn't read the original Long Halloween but picked this up and you mm-hmm. know, sort of get their thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: that's maybe something I'll grab and trade uh, for sure. But it's not. Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly <laughs> where it, that's that's exactly what it is. I mean, the, the the it doesn't the Long Halloween didn't mean that same thing to me. Yeah. You know, I I was already I was already in, <laughs> you know. So it was but just yeah, another story. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you 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 put Secret Wars on something, and I automatically get excited for the same reason. Yeah. You know. So
0: so yeah, absolutely. No, I must. Uh, I I genuinely recommend a reread along Halloween at some point. It's yeah. I I didn't watch the animated adaptation recently because I saw the trailer and it was very much a an in house DC style of animation and. The Long Halloween is so stylized. It is genuinely Tim Seale. For me, anyway, it's Tim Seale's best career work. And they had the opportunity to do something really interesting with an animated movie and just ignored it and went with a stock in house animation style, which I thought was a real shame. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I really highly recommend a reread at some point. And, yeah. and if you do manage to do that, I will happily throw you my copy of the uh, my pick of this week, which was The Long Halloween Special Number One. Perfect. So that is going to bring to an end the Reviews show for October. We're getting caught up slowly but surely uh but yeah we're gonna be back real real soon and we're gonna look at titles coming out in november we've got a couple of a couple of weeks releases lined up for this one as well so the catch-up will continue but hope you enjoyed this pod as always any titles appeal to you or anything that you've missed along the way you like the sound of just always get in touch with the storm we'll always do our best to get you guys sorted out so uh hope you enjoyed this thanks for listening and uh we will see you very soon so I've been Alan Taylor and this has been Keith Miller.
1: You can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm a Scannison 0 Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield
0: Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well.